Welcome to the Scribner Australia podcast, books that talk. Hello, my name's Tegan Bennett Daylight and I'm a writer, a teacher and a literary critic. I'm the author of several books, the most recent of which is a collection of essays, The Details, on love, death and reading. This book was the inspiration for this series of podcasts and it explores the ways readers absorb books into their daily lives and bring their daily lives into their reading. Today I'm talking to Tony Birch, who's the author of three novels, the best-selling and magnificent The White Girl, which was shortlisted for this year's Miles Franklin Award, Ghost River, which won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award for Indigenous Writing, and Blood, which was also shortlisted for the Miles Franklin Award. He's also the author of Shadowboxing and three short story collections, Father's Day, The Promise and Common People. In 2017, he was awarded the Patrick White Literary Award, Tony's a frequent contributor to ABC local and national radio, a regular guest at writers' festivals, a climate justice campaigner, and a good friend of mine. Welcome, Tony. It's lovely to have you here. Um, thank you very much, Tegan, for having me. It's a pleasure. Let's first talk about the idea of being in conversation with a book before we bring your particular book up. What does this mean to you both as a reader and as a writer? Well, I think as a reader, it, it's indicative of a, a lifetime habit and enjoyment that I've had with books. So that um, I grew up in a house that basically didn't have books, so I was a frequent um, visitor to the local library. And I found very early on that um, fiction in particular um, provided a world that I could both escape to and a world that I could really enjoy. So I was a very sort of literal and visual reader, so that the conversations I had with books were were quite literal, so I, I got to know the characters very well, fell in love with characters and, and story setting. So I think in regard to books and the conversation that I had with them as readers, I think it was great friendship that I found, an enormous sense of sanctuary and a great sense of belief so that um, although I grew up in, in fairly dire circumstances at times, um, one of the issues for me around fiction wasn't that it created a fictional world alone for me, but that there were real worlds out there which were a lot different than mine and, and worlds that I, that I could contemplate. I mean, as a writer, I mean, you know, firstly, as you would know, when you're writing a book, the first conversation you're having is, is with the, the book itself, with the work. Um, and that's a conversation with characters and settings. It's a conversation with yourself as the writer. But ultimately, you're seeking to have a conversation with readers. Um, and I've said several times when, when people have asked me a question, yeah, whether it be festivals or book clubs, what do I enjoy most about being a writer? It, it's those conversations, both an actual conversation after a book's been published, but more so that knowing that your book is out there and someone has a relationship with it in the same way that I had a relationship with books. And then if you do get to meet your readers, which fortunately I do quite a bit, um, when they give you a commentary on your book, I, I just find it remarkably um, exciting when someone um, learns something in, from your book that they then talk to you about. And in fact, it's a sort of a, it's a opportunity to be taught about what you've done. Yeah, you do yeah. things in your writing that you don't realise you've done until a reader tells you. Until a reader tells you. You've actually, um, I'm just going to delay us a little bit more because you've made me really curious about those books you were reading as a kid. Do one or two yeah. of the titles and that kind of rich, young conversation come up for you? Can you remember a couple that were important back then? Yeah, look, they're, they're probably fairly obvious to people. Um, so that... Um, 
To Kill a Mockingbird, um, you know, for a book that you know, some people have a different critical view of that book now, I actually found that a remarkable book and, and still do. I agree. Um, it's not surprising yeah. that, um, yeah, the children, Gem and Scout in that book, in some ways are antiquity of the, of the characters of Jesse and Rachel that I created in Blood. And in fact, they go to the movies um, and see To Kill a Mockingbird, the screen version in that book. Yeah. Um, I felt that... I thought that it was remarkable that um, Harper Lee was able to give um, a great sense of insight into the lives of children, which are both incredibly, at some level, naive, but also incredibly mature. So mm. I found them remarkable. Um, I have to say that I found the character of Atticus Finch, both in the book and in the movie, a bit um, unbelievable because I didn't realise that fathers could be that good. <laughs> but, um, I did just have a fantasy that Gregory Peck should be my dad. I fully understand that. I fully understand the way books can inhabit your emotional life in that way. And I think, in fact, I just asked a student, a bunch of students the other day who was their favourite character in fiction and several of them said Atticus Finch. And yeah. uh, I said to one of them, why Atticus Finch? And he said, because he's a great man. <laughs> that's right, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, and I think that's um, a remarkable um, tribute to the author. Absolutely. So let's get to the book that we're going to talk about today, the one you're still in conversation with. Which book is it, Tony? Um, well, the book is um, Alistair MacLeod's um, Island, a collected story. So it brings together almost um, all the stories that he um, ever published. Um, their stories set um, largely in a place on the um, west coast of Canada, um, in Nova Scotia, a place called um, Cape Breton. And this is a place we've had very um, deep both European and Indigenous history, obviously. And MacLeod writes about generations of people who live mostly by the sea or live in and work in forests. And they're people whose traditions come from the highlands of Scotland. So these are people who migrated to Canada from Scotland during the, the, the clearances of the 19th century. So they carry a very deep um, Gaelic history with them and a very deep lament for their own homeland that they carry to, to the new land of Nova Scotia. So that's a really rich sense of what's in the book. Can you describe for us the texture of it? What's it like to read? What Tell us about the words on the page. Well, it's a beautiful book to read, and, and I do um, talk about um, Ireland as one of my great comfort reads um, in the sense that, one, it's predictable when you go back to it. Of course, you are familiar with the book and, and reassured by the book, but because the um, language is so rich and the work is of such a great quality, it's always refreshing to read um, the collection. It's not as if I'm just going over old ground. So he's um, in some ways quite a, a literary writer. He's a, a fairly traditional writer. But I think what he does with language is that he is able to, to paint remarkable pictures so that the landscape in his book, in all of his stories, is absolutely vital. So. The landscape of Ireland is never a backdrop for the action. Um, in fact, not only is um, the landscape and place in the collection a central character to the work, I would say that the landscape drives the work in many instances and the landscape, mm. of course, inhabits the people that live there. And secondly, I think um, he has a beautiful ability um, with pace so that even though, as I said, it's a literary work, it's very clean prose, and you feel yourself lured into remarkably um, emotional events and situations in the work that are very nuanced. So the work is never melodramatic, 
but you you have a, a deep emotional resonance with the material. And I think it's tribute again to a writer who's writing about a place that I've never visited. I've been to Canada, but I've never been to that part of Canada. But you feel the richness of it. So you, you feel that you're in place with the writer, which is, I think, a remarkable achievement. Yeah, yeah, I really agree with that. I would say there's this amazing mixture in his work of sort of grandeur and simplicity. Does that make sense to you? It's as though he's yeah, not afraid to go for the big a, gesture. but Yeah, and, and I think that's really vital because you are dealing with, yeah, what, the, what some people talk about in history, the long durée. In other words, you're talking about a very long period of history. So he is bringing that 18th, sorry, that 19th century um, history of leaving as a migrant um, from Scotland into 20th, late 20th century um, Canada or Turtle Island, as Indigenous people refer to it. So you're talking about not only a history of 150 years, you're talking about vast expanses of distance in place. So there is a there is a there is a big canvas here that we're we're situating the work on, and yet he was able to take it to a very local, domestic, and even minute level. So in one of my favourite stories in the collection, the boat, a lot of the action takes place in the boat, of course, at sea. But equally, some of the very important action takes place um, through the eyes of a mother, a woman looking out her window at the sea. So mm. she's in the kitchen. And in that sense, when you think of that, he's able to bring that very local, intimate, domestic view of the world to this vast expanse, not only literally of the ocean in front of them, but, but the world beyond the ocean. So um, I love the way that he, he maps that. And he does it in a way that I think for a reader, it sneaks up on you. So in other words, it's not, there's no overtness to, to that sort of um, big canvas. You find yourself inhabiting a world that, that shifts from the local to the global um, before your eyes. Yeah, yeah. I really agree with that. And, you know, I, I remember when Islands came out, but it, every so often, you know, in your reading life, there are books that just have a powerful effect and you notice they're having a powerful effect on a lot of people around you. Can you remember your first read of Island? I can actually um, and it has two impacts on me. One is that um, I have um, lunch or coffee regularly with a really good friend of mine, Arnold Zabel, who's, who's a great writer who, who lives in Melbourne. We, we have a lot of different connections, Arnold and I. Um, he went to the same primary school as my mum and me and him went to the same high school. Um, we both are sort of Carlton boys in a way and we meet up regularly and we talk about books we love, we talk about writers that we love and he introduced me to Ireland. He was the first um, writer or the first person to introduce me to the book. He, he offered to loan me the book but he spoke about it so vividly I thought, no, I can't borrow this book because you'll never get it back. <laughs> so I went straight up to readings and bought the book. So I remember that impact. I remember reading the opening story, The Boat, which is one of my favourite stories of all time, and thinking this is just superb, and, and then thinking they can't all be this good, you know. Um, it's um, it's like opening up a, a, you know, a David Bowie album, listening to the first song and thinking it can't all be as good as you know, Life on Mars, and then it just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting um, better, yeah. Yeah, and so every story stood up, both individually as, as a collection. And I do have to admit that I remember I published a story, um, I think it was called Liam, 
Um, and I realised only after I'd finished it and published it that all I had done was channel um, as a big great Alistair in the cloud. So it is one of those things where a writer does really inhabit you for a while. And I don't have, I didn't have any problem with that. It wasn't plagiarism. It was just you can see all of those influences affecting the work. And I just think that that's a great way of learning to be a writer when oh, a yeah. writer you love is, is teaching you by osmosis almost. So. So they're the two dominant issues, but I think essentially it would be to say that any time I see a second-hand copy of the book in a, you know, in an op shop or something, I always buy it and I, I just make sure I give it to someone. So I've always got extra copies here. And when I really want to be reassured about writing and why I want to do it, I will pick up um, the book again and just pick a t story or two to read. I mean, it's great reading, as you would expect, under a blanket on a cold day when it's raining. There's no better place to be than under a blanket with Alistair McLeod and my dog, my Jack Russell Kess, because as you know, an Alistair McLeod writes with great affection and fondness for dogs. For dogs, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm fully with you um, on the, the I, I call it sort of taking sips of another writer's work. So I sometimes when I'm writing, when I was writing my book of short stories, I would have Alice Munro stories open yep. on the desk around me and uh, uh, any real writer knows that you sort of, you take a drink or a pull from somebody else's work don't you to kind of refresh your own so oh yeah you've and, used islands I like think, that I always used to um, I taught as you know I taught creative writing for about 12 or 13 years and um, um, the thing I used to say to students is that you know you learn much more from writers you love than those you don't which seems obvious but one of the issues that I found as a teacher that students often, when they critique the work, would tell you what was wrong with it, and that's fine. But then I used to pull the students up and say, hey, listen, is there anything about this story that you like? And they'd say, yes, of course. I said, well, why don't we start there? Yeah. Why don't we start yeah. with what it is we love about it? love, work? yeah. And, yeah, the mistakes that the writer makes, well, we're all going to make them anyway, but we're going to learn more about what the writer did well. So um, I do that as well. Um, I find that sometimes it's writers that I I don't write like them. So a Norwegian writer who I adore, um, Per Peterson, um, he has a wonderful novel, I'm Out Stealing Horses, and a more recent novel, I Refuse. I read his books as well. Um, they're very different to the, my work stylistically. And I just read those for motivation and reassurance that this, again, is what um, writers are doing. And, and as you referred to Alice Munro, I think, Munro is just a superb writer because she can she can make the the domestic the the everyday in, recreate in such an extraordinary way and that's a good way to think about work as a writer and for a reader that we don't have to have as I used to say to students a bit as a, a sort of facetious we don't need a car crash on every page to that's engage right. the reading yeah I completely agree with that tell me um, just say you're in that conversation with Arnold. Only you're Arnold this time, and it's another writing friend or a reading friend you want to recommend Ireland to. How would you recommend it? What would you tell them? They've never heard of the book, and you want them to read oh, it. What would you say? Oh, I mean, I couldn't say it with the same um, um, energy as Arnold. Arnold. I remember when Arnold talked about Alison McLeod, he was he was sort of all he was so excited. He was like a kid with you know something he just discovered, which is just. Yeah, the passion in the man, of course, the passion for writing. I think what I would say to um, any reader is to say that here are a group of stories that structurally are uh, what we might call old-fashioned in some ways. They have all have beginning, middle, and ends. Um, the boat reads like a mini novel in that way. Yeah, if you think of the structural 
the boat it has a very novelistic structure. I said that what you'll get with this book is great storytelling. You'll get a great insight into place and landscape, and you'll be in, a, as you, to use your word, um, Tegan, you'll be in a conversation with a writer who not only values deeply the process of writing and language, but clearly here is a writer who, who values his readers. Um, Alistair McLeod was a very patient writer. Um, he wrote very slowly in the sense of he would take up to a year, I think, to, to write a story, which you know, I don't have the patience for. It was because he took his craft very seriously, but he also took the fact that he wanted to produce a work of the high, highest quality that did justice to the, the characters in the work, justice to the story. But I think as a writer who, who had enormous respect for, for, for readers, yeah, I, I agree with that as well. My, a lot of vociferous agreement here for me. Tony, it's such a pleasure to talk to you about this book and um, we have a larger, longer conversation to continue, but it's been great to be with you. Thanks so much for talking to me today. It's been my pleasure and I hope um, your listeners um, do take my advice. If they haven't read uh, Mr McLeod before, um, Please to go and find him. He also has a novel called No Great Mischief, his only novel, and which is all equally a beautiful book that people might want to um, catch up with. So thank you very much for having me. Lovely. So I've been talking to Tony Birch today, novelist and short story writer, and the book he's discussing, Island, by Alistair MacLeod, is a collection of short stories. It's still in print and available from all good bookstores, but also, as Tony says, his one novel, No Great Mischief, is also a beautiful read.